Hello, Strange Stories UK here again for Series 4, Episode 8. This one is called The Haunting of M House. So it's a paranormal podcast for Halloween. All of the paranormal podcasts that I post are actual cases. This example comes from the Society of Psychical Research Records, which I'll call the SPR from now on. And much of the following story seems to be kept as something of a secret in the records of the SPR. It was finally printed for December 1902 journal. It was never made clear who the chief investigating officer was. I believe it to have been a Mr N.W. Thomas, who was the organising secretary of the SPR. And as the title says, it concerned the alleged haunting of M House. So a house with a name beginning with M. The names and addresses were not published. And the investigation was based on a letter sent by a Mr. W.G.D., who by profession was an organ manufacturer, who lived at the house with his parents, his siblings and servants. I will refer to him as W.D. throughout this podcast. So the letter sent by W.D. told about events which happened between 1893 and 1900 at the house. And this included uh, corroboratory evidence contributed by his brothers, his sisters. And this included references to earlier experiences, which dated back to 1984 or perhaps 1982 or 83. The SPR had been given the real names and addresses of all persons concerned, but it was requested that such information was not made public. And I can find no record of any case like this in newspaper archives, so I don't think that it was reported elsewhere. After the account was published in the 1902 journal about the haunting at M House, the investigating officer of the case in question, Mr Thomas, went through some old unpublished cases about alleged hauntings stored at the SPR records. And Mr Thomas noticed that a record of a haunted house sent to the SPR in 1985 by a Mr Bateman had points in common with the case submitted by WD. Now I just mentioned the fact that the SPR wanted to keep the name Bateman a secret but they mistakenly let the name slip in one of the reports where he was usually referred to as Mr B. In Mr Bateman's 1885 account, the name and locality of the house and the real names of the occupants and witnesses had not been stated. But further comparison and inquiry showed that it was the same house and the experiences of the same family. The SPR were keen to state that all evidence that appeared in the Journal of uh, December 1902 for the SPR was written in ignorance of the fact that an earlier and contemporary record was already in the possession of the, of the society. Going through what had been made public about the house in various SPR papers, I discovered that the house was built in about 1790 in the suburbs of a large manufacturing town. The suggestion was that it was in the Midlands. The house was very large, and a later witness 
and Mr. B, which was a different Mr. B, not Mr. Bateman, he'd owned the property for 18 years and ran the building as a boys' school. And he said the house was so large and contained so many rooms that he was quite ignorant of how many rooms there were in total. Mr. B described the first occupant as being an eccentric doctor who was said to have had a dark side to him. When he passed away, the doctor, the building lay empty for a while until the person referred to as Mr. B, well actually Mr. HNB, took up residence. He claimed to have been informed that the building was haunted soon after he moved in. Mr. B suspected that the haunting was somehow connected with the first occupant of the house who was the doctor. However, Mr. B never recorded or spoke of any paranormal activity while he owned the house, which is probably not a surprise if he ran it as a school. After some years, Mr. B closed the school and sold the building, M House, to Mr. D, and Mr. D and his family moved into the building during June 1877. Mr. D had a large family, he lived in M House with his wife, his ten children aged between four and thirty, and an unspecified number of servants. Mr Bateman was friends with the older sons of Mr D, and when he first wrote to the SPR in 1885, after hearing about events at M House, he had not asked Mr D permission to do so, knowing probably that it wouldn't have been given which is why he was anxious not to let it be known who the family were or where the house was. It's not clear why Mr Bateman wrote to the SPR. He claimed that the matter had been put into his hands to find a solution. It seems that somebody living at the house at the time told him the story, or the stories, and asked for evidence on what to do, advice on what to do. This was probably his good friend, Mr. E.D., one of the older brothers. Mr. Bateman was known to have an interest in the paranormal, which was a popular subject during the mid to late 19th century. Mr. Bateman wrote to the SPR as he wanted to inform them of the strange happenings so it could be recorded in the SPR records, and he also asked for advice what to do. It seemed that the SPR did not act on the letter as a matter of urgency, as Mr Bateman insinuated that there was only one eyewitness, and as a result the SPR did not feel that the case was strong enough to proceed with an investigation. It would later be shown that the head of the household, Mr D, did not want to hear of anything of the matter, and he closed down the discussion on any subject of hauntings and paranormal activity within the family. He appeared to be quite a controlling personality. He would not have wanted the SPR or anyone else to know about the strange events at his house. The letter WD sent to the SPR was received on March the 3rd, 1902. WD explained that his family had now left M House. They left during March 1900. And the garden had now been partly built on and the house was now uninhabited. When the SPR later attended the property, it was being used as a storehouse. WD would have been in his late 20s in 1902 when he sent the letter to the SPR. So WD had grown up in the house with his brothers and sisters. 
He said that he'd been meaning to write to the SPR for some time about the haunting at the house. WD told of an apparition of a woman who was tall and slight and always dressed in black, a black cloak and hood, save on one occasion when he saw her in daylight for two or three minutes. WD claimed that almost everybody living at the house had seen her at some time or another and it seemed for no apparent cause. It got to the stage when people were no longer nervous when there was a sighting. But later sightings became associated with illness and death in that the sightings would coincide with the death of a member of the family or wider family. The first time WD remembered seeing the lady, as she came to be called, was in January 1893. WD wanted to speak privately to his mother who was going upstairs to her room, so he followed her. When he reached the landing, he saw his mother's room was in darkness, but thought he heard her walking into his brother's room, which was opposite hers. He waited standing still, and in a short while she came out and went into her own room. And so W.D. approached the room and saw a figure crossing the room as if to light the gaslight. W.D. said, Mother. And at that moment his mother came out of his brother's room. W.T. talked to his brother about it later to tell him what he had seen. His brother thought that he must have been mistaken. He must have fancied that he'd seen something. W.D. said the next morning his mother was taken ill and she died three weeks later. W.D. said he saw the lady at another time after his mother's death but can't be sure to the exact time or date. He was in bed ill with a cold and was getting up late in the morning at about 11.30 and he was nearly dressed when in his own words I heard one of my sisters come upstairs and go into the storeroom which was up three stairs from the landing. I went to the foot of these stairs and was just going up when I saw my sister Mary was not alone. Her companion was very tall and had yellow hair, but what struck me was the way in which she was dressed. She had a very long gown, the waist was right under where the arms were, and it was covered with small flowers. My first thought was, whoever has Mary got with her? Then, why does the girl keep always standing behind Mary? I did not go in as I was not properly dressed but stood for a minute or two wondering who it could be in such a remarkable rig-out. When Mary came out of the room by herself, she made some remark and went downstairs. W.D. said he went into the room where he had seen his sister Mary and the figure, but there was no one there. The room was only about nine foot by five. It had a large window facing the door, and the room was lined with shelves all around. There was nowhere in which anyone could hide. W.D. said he told one of his sisters about it, but she asked him not to mention it to Mary, who was a little nervous. W.D. said that the next time the lady was seen was when his father was dying. His elder sister had been sitting with him and came downstairs for something at about half past midnight on the 21st of January, 1900. She said that she passed a figure in black on the front staircase. She claimed that she hadn't thought much about it at the time as she was preoccupied. On reflecting about it the next morning, she told W.D. of what she had seen. Then their father died about half an hour after she told W.D. at about 10am. 
My thoughts here. Initially, I thought it odd that a figure would be ignored in these circumstances. But in a big house with servants, I thought it probably was possible that such an incident may be ignored, especially if thoughts were elsewhere. Anyhow, W.D. said that on another strange thing happened that night when his father had died. W.D. was sitting with his brother, F.D., in a drawing room, or in the drawing room, after everybody else had gone to bed. They'd been together for perhaps half an hour when the piano started to play by itself. W.D. said that it started at mid-C and went down in uh, minor thirds. The scale that plays uh, a sad music. WD's business was organs and he was a musician. They thought it may have been a mouse or a rat running the wires. So they took out the knee and front boards of the piano while it was still playing. When the wires were visible, it seemed that they were still vibrating and there was no sign of any rodent or similar thing causing it. When the family learnt of the incident, the eldest sister said she often heard it, but couldn't, didn't, couldn't be bothered to go downstairs in the middle of the night to see what it was. The next time W.D. saw the lady was on February the 18th, 1900. He was sat in the drawing room. It was half past midnight and everybody else had gone to bed. W.D. decided to go to bed also. He ascended the stairs and noticed that the gas light was on full in the room where his father used, or used to use, and that the door was open. W.D. could see in, into the room from the landing. Standing in front of the dressing table, resting her hands, was the apparition. It seemed to be staring into the mirror. W.D. said he stood very still outside before trying to see the face in the mirror, by moving a little to one side, he could see into the glass. To his surprise, he could not see any reflection of the figure. There was no reflection of it in the mirror. W.D. said he rushed into the room, but there was nothing to be seen. He said he waited a few minutes to see if it would reappear, but it didn't. He put the gaslight out and went to bed. The next day, W.D. found out that his sister-in-law had died. He said he found it strange that the last three times that he had seen the apparition of the lady, a member of his family had died. W.D. said the lady was seen once more by him before they left the house. This was March the 2nd, 1900. W.D. said that he worked late that night and returned to the house after 10pm. He said that after supper and a smoke, he went upstairs towards his bedroom at about 11 he claimed he saw the figure, the apparition, standing on the landing as he ascended the stairs. She went into his father's room. The lighting was poor, as the only light was a glass lantern which gave the effect of light and shadow. W.D. thought he may have been mistaken. He may have mistaken shadows for the figure. But walking down the stairs and up again several times, he said he could not reproduce the phenomena, which persuaded him that he had seen the figure in a poor light. The next day, W.D. met somebody at the railway station, who he met by chance. A cousin told him that she had just been telegraphed to go urgently to see her father, who was dying. The man was W.D.'s uncle. 
WD said the figure had been seen by most members, other members of the family, but they had not kept records of dates and times. It seemed that the only sightings by WD coincided with a family death. He wondered if that could have been a startling coincidence. WD also wrote of other instances of the noise, of noise, of explained footsteps, the opening of doors, and similar phenomena. But he did not go into detail, save for one other incident which happened after they had left the house. A brother, FD, was supervising the removal of furniture from the house, which was being sent into an auction. One of the men who was doing the work had bought a large retriever dog. When FD went to go and pat the dog, the owner told him not to do so, as it was savage. After the furniture had been loaded into the house and locked up, the house locked up, it was discovered that the dog was missing. So they re-entered the house to find the dog pressed against the wall, seemingly paralysed with fear. His master had to go and get him out, and when he did so, the dog would not turn his back to the staircase. The SPR decided to investigate the case, and WD agreed to assist in the investigation. WD also said that the letter he had written on the 3rd of March 1902 was written from memory, except for the dates which had been recorded at the time. On the 29th of March 1902, WD sent a statement from his brother CD to the SPR. His brother CD had written that he was fearfully nervous and a highly strung child that had nightmares about the house. He remembered laying in bed at night listening to the sound of heavy footsteps from the stairs at the back of the house, when he was fairly certain there was no one there. He said the most terrifying experience was waking in the middle of the night and hearing strange noises. He claimed that one night, when he was six or seven, a shape was standing near his bed. He described it as white, bulgy and loathsome. My thoughts here again. My thoughts are that I suppose the word of a young child is difficult to accept if you remember he was in bed at the time and he may have been having a vivid dream. Or with a lot of children in the house and given that CD was a nervous child, a mischievous sibling may have been playing tricks. A white bulgy figure sounds like it could have been a figure with a sheet over them. Going back to CD. CD claimed to have seen the apparition of the lady just once when he was about 12 years old. It was on the night of WD's birthday, who was 8 or 9 on that day, and one of his presents was some books about animals. CD wanted to have a look at them before he went to bed, and went to search for them in his brother's room. Upstairs he saw the figure standing in his father's room before the wash basin. It was later suggested that this date was the 1st of May 1984, when CD would have been about 10 years old. CD said that his memory is rather vague on some experiences, but he said that his brother WD related to incidences over, uh, the incidents over time, with no variation in detail, which made him think that they were truthful accounts that his brother told him. CD did remember the piano incident as he had come downstairs for some hot water and found two of his brothers dismantling it after the piano after it played by itself. 
CD remembered the incident vividly, although he had not heard the playing of the notes. He also recalled the terrified dog that got locked in the house. WD's sister Catherine was asked to give a statement and wrote of the night before her father died. Catherine was the eldest sister who had married and moved away while the family was still in residence at M House. Mr D, the father, was ill of pleurisy, an inflammation of the tissue between the lungs and ribcage, which caused chest pain and breathing difficulties. Catherine had gone downstairs to, uh, to fetch hot bran bags from the kitchen to put on her father's chest to ease the pain and help him breathe, and she was doing this every hour. In her own words, the kitchen was at the end of a long passage in which all the rooms downstairs opened up onto. The drawing room, the dining room doors faced each other. I'd left gas lights on in the passage and on the staircase, but they were just partly up. There was a kind of twilight, but quite sufficient to see anything by. As I came partly up the passage to go upstairs, I saw a figure in black standing between the two doors. I could not see the face, for it seemed to be covered all over with this black drapery, and when I looked again it was gone. I thought I was mistaken, there had been nothing there. In the morning of my, my father was much better, and we thought the danger was over, but he died suddenly of heart disease at about 10am. Another sister called Mrs P in the SPI report also gave a statement saying that she thought that she had twice seen the lady who walks M House, as she put it. The first time was in November 1882. She remembers the date well as she had an engagement that had just been broken off. She described the figure as looking very nice in a long satin dress and a lace scarf around her neck. The figure disappeared into darkness. She felt the sighting was some kind of warning. This was the first reported sighting at the house. So that was November 82. The second sighting was also in winter. The figure was standing outside the front door. Mrs P and the figure looked at each other in the face. The description given by a frightened Miss P was that it, the figure looked hard but was young and pretty. Then the figure disappeared. Although no date was given, it must have been in late 1882 or very early 1883, as she spoke to her mother after the sighting, and her mother died in January 1883. Later, when questioned by letter by the SPR, Mrs P said that she was sure that both sightings were of the same figure, a young woman aged between 18 and 20, and who was very lovely. Other siblings of WD gave their accounts in statements to the SPR which backed up each other and an account given by WD. One sister suggested that the figure may have been a friend that had visited the house. Not all the siblings had made a statement because some were away and would be so for some months. WD was convinced that the apparition was seen by his mother. She was always unruffled and would look for logical explanations, possibly not to antagonise her husband. 
Servants that lived at the house were also told of their experiences. The cook, who was referred to as R.S., claimed twice to have seen a tall lady in white. She said that the apparition seemed to pass through the stairs as it descended when she first saw it. The second time she saw the figure, she let a jug of beer she was holding fall, as she was so surprised. The SPR sent WD a questionnaire, which I've summarised. The first question was, how many times was the figure seen? WD had replied that he was unable to give the number, as she was certainly seen several times by his mother, and may have been seen by others who he had not heard about. He mentioned every time since 1893, including the statement given by R.S. In all, he counted seven appearances. Well, this is my thoughts here again. This answer seems rather misleading, as the figure was first seen in 1882 by his sister. Also, the figure seems too low compared to what he wrote to the SPR in his original statement. WD said that he saw the figure on five occasions. He wrote of Mrs P seeing the figure twice, so that gives a total of seven, although other people had seen the figure, and he was certain that his mother had seen it. Later in the questionnaire, WD claimed that six of his siblings had seen the apparition at the house. So his answer of seven sightings doesn't make any sense at all. Other answers provided by WD said that those who saw the figure were not thought to have compared notes. He made the point that his father was very much against the subject being mentioned at all, and was very much displeased if we did so which makes it very unlikely that the other servants or the servants had heard anything at all about a ghost. One of the maids was later asked by WD if she'd ever seen anything strange at the house. The answer given by the maid was, it does not do to tell tales about all one sees. WD explained that from her manner, both his sister and he thought that she had seen something but would not say. WD also explained that two or three girls had given notice suddenly for no apparent reason that, that they could make out. They all said that they were very sorry to leave, they were happy, but something obviously had unsettled them. Although WD did not think the house had a reputation for being haunted, when he questioned some locals, they had replied enigmatically that they had heard things, but they would not elaborate. When asked if all of his ten siblings had seen the figure, he replied that six of them had. The th uh, three brothers and one sister had seen nothing unusual. WD said the footsteps were always the same, as if made by a person walking slowly. They were often heard on a Sunday night. The servants would go to church, but WD and at least one of his other siblings would stay in the property during Sunday service. They would sit in the drawing room, and the dogs would be close to the room. They'd always had between two or four dogs at the house. WD said that on one occasion, suddenly one of the dogs would start, uh, said on occasions, I beg your pardon, on occasions, suddenly one of the dogs would start to whine, and then they would all start and if they were in the passage, they would scratch at the door to come in. 
Then they would hear footsteps going up and down the passage or moving across the rooms overhead. In the latter case of rooms, uh, footsteps in the room overhead, they could not get the dogs to go upstairs, even when they went. Sometimes the steps would go on for a moment or two, but sometimes they would continue for the whole evening on and off, until the dogs were nearly mad. Then they would let the dogs into the garden where they would quieten down. WD made the point that the garden was an acre and a quarter of ground, and had the noise been an acoustic freak caused by someone in the yards or garden, the dogs would have found them. The siblings when questioned confirmed the footsteps and actions of the dogs. They backed up WD's account. Another sister, a Mrs W, who was now married and lived some distance away, was contacted by the SPR. She recounted the experience when uh, crossing the hall between the dining and drawing rooms. She became conscious of a grey presence at her elbow. The impression was a tall, slight, she said misty woman clothed in a long cloak. Mrs W said she was tired at the time and thought she must have imagined it. The glimpse was momentary and when she glanced again there was nothing there. Mrs W said that she felt no fear at that time. Mrs W continued that she had slept for some years in the room that she said her siblings had called the haunted room. Whilst there she said she was frequently seized with such sudden and awful attacks of unreasoning and unaccountable terror and she was thankful for the company of a small terrier dog, Frenchie, in the room with her. She explained that it was an oppressive sense of the unseen and a terrible presence that uh, scared her. Mrs W said that she sometimes slept in the same room as her sister Catherine, who on many occasions had bid her to listen to the piano as they were falling asleep. There was another vivid recollection of an occasion when their mother followed the presence from, a hall, uh, from the hall door into the drawing room. It was early one sun, uh, summer evening, just growing less light, without it at all being dusk. The mother had been calling on her friends and it came into her side door to miss out the long drive. She walked the whole length of the hall and uh, came into the drawing room where Mrs Dubley was sitting. Then she went into the dining room and then returned immediately with an expression of great surprise. She said she was looking for a friend called Mrs M who was tall and often dressed in black. When told that uh, Mrs M or there was no visitor at the house, she was perplexed. Shame she had just seen her, just followed her along the passage. She saw her go into the drawing room and only had the sight of the back of her figure but she was sure that it was her. She said that she never lost sight of the figure for a moment until reaching the drawing room door. The house was searched to no effect. Mrs W said that when different members of the family saw the figure, they called it the Grey Lady. There were other statements from friends and families telling similar stories. The figure was seen but rarely the face. The heavy footsteps were often mentioned in the behaviour of the dogs which seemed to have the run of M House. Dr William Vincent, a member of the SPR, helped Mr Thomas on the case and tried to trace and interview former occupiers of the house without much success. 
It wasn't until after the case was printed in the Journal of December 1902 that an account of the haunting of M House between 1882 and 85 was discovered among the unpublished cases preserved in the SPR rooms. This was the account written by Mr Bateman. As said, he was good friends with the elder brothers of W.D., and he was a frequent visitor to the house. When he wrote to the SPR, he was anxious to keep the contents of his letter uh, confidential. Mr. Bateman wrote of events on Christmas Day, 1883. He said that W.D. and C.D. were just little boys who, in the middle of the day, told their mother they'd just seen a funny little old lady in the house. The woman, or the little old lady, was dressed in brown and came out of the bedroom and just stared at them. A short time later, one of the older brothers, E.D., was introduced to two ladies who he had not previously known. On informing them where he lived, they at once told him that the house was haunted by a little old lady dressed in brown. The SPR went to great lengths to try to find these women, but nobody could give a name to them. It was thought that they were related to a previous owner of the house. E.D. mentioned this to his mother as a good joke, who then told him that the boys had seen this old woman and asked him not to say anything about it to other members of the family. Prior to this, prior to the uh, two boys seeing the old uh, woman, uh, they'd lived at the house for six years without being disturbed or annoyed in any way. Although, as said, Mrs P had an experience by seeing the apparition in November 1882. Nothing further was reported until the end of August 1884, when E.D. going to bed late one night and without a light felt the presence go past him as he entered his bedroom. He investigated it by following the thing that he thought he saw in the direction it seemed to be going until he reached a dead end. He found nothing. An older brother, who we call, call T.D., who was considered a total sceptic in such matters, had previously described an arrangement of shadows taking the shape of an old man in his bedroom, which was a short distance from E.D.'s room. He only noticed this once in the middle of the night, and he always had a strong disinclination to refer to it. Later, when questioned, he claimed to have no recollection of the incident. Other people who had slept in T.D.'s room had also complained about being disturbed in the middle of the night by knocking sounds and the door being opened. Mr. Bateman claimed that a female clairvoyant had visited the house a couple of times, the last time being in November 1884, and she claimed to see the apparition of a man and a woman. She also claimed that the hearthstone, or the fireplace in TD's room, hid the remains of a skeleton. Mr Bateman had also reported that he had been told of a family member's names being called out from parts of the house where there was thought to be no one present at that time. Mr Bateman ended his letter by telling of a reoccurring dream he first experienced during September 1884 while at home. His home was about 40 miles away from M House. He dreamt he was in a haunted house alone, looking through an open door into a large bedroom. 
Mr. Bateman saw on the further side of the bed a figure of an old man rise. His hair was long and white and unkept, and his expression was at once sad and threatening. Mr. Bateman said he frequently had this dream, and the vision left him and had an un, left an unusual impression upon him. On describing his dream to his good friend E.D., it appeared that he was describing one of the rooms in M House, which he claimed never to have seen. And he signed the letter in full, H.N. Bateman. My thoughts here again. Um, I was thinking that I don't think that it's that rare to have disturbing reoccurring dreams. I can think of a couple that I've had myself in the past. Well, don't worry, I won't bore you with them. I think Mr. Bateman was overthinking some aspects of this case. Mr. G. A. Smith of the SPR had received the Bateman letter and started a correspondence with him. Bateman seemed to be kept informed of events at the house by people living there. I suspect the person giving him the information was E.D. The latest information was that the house had been very quiet of late, that was in the summer of 1885, and a later letter again reported nothing of any consequence. A third letter sent by Mr. Bateman, in which he wrote that on the 18th of September 1885, a figure of a woman in white had been seen going along a passage before disappearing. Mr. Bateman said that the female who had had the vision was well known to him, and he trusted her. This seems that it could have been the sighting by uh, Mrs. P. It seems that Mr. Bateman and two of his brothers, probably T.D. and E.D., had tried to force up the hearthstone in E.D.'s room, but they were not successful. They had to keep it quiet from the rest of the family, as, as said, any discussion on the subject was discouraged. Mr. Bateman, in fact, described the situation of the, at the house as a, a house divided against itself. The SPR tried to contact Mr. Bateman four more times by letter to ascertain if there was any other developments. But Mr. Bateman did not receive these letters as he seemed to have moved house and the correspondence ended. On learning of the discovery by the SPR of uh, Mr. Bateman's letter, a copy was sent to Mr. W.D. for perusal and comment. Mr. W.D. said that Mr. Bateman was a great friend of one of his elder brothers and he was at M House very often. Mr. Bateman was interested in uh, psychical research and had persuaded his brothers to lift the hearthstone in his bedroom. Some medium he had consulted said that underneath the hearthstone were papers that would right a great wrong. But they couldn't move the stone, and it was only some time later that W.D. had heard anything about it. W.D. was never aware that Mr. Bateman had ever sent a letter to the SPR, and he thought it must have been sent without the consent of the family. He was certain that his father would never have given consent. W.D. said that he was only a child when the events in the letter sent by Mr. Bateman in 1885 took place, so he cannot say too much from his own memory. He concludes by saying that Mr. Bateman's letter is probably the most reliable account as it was made at the time the incidents took place. W. 
D went to see his brother Edie, who was good friends with Mr Bateman, and he asked him many questions about the incidents at the house, without letting on that the SPR were interested. He didn't uh, let on where he had received his information from. WD said his brother gave full accounts which fully justified Mr Bateman's statements. Then ED was shown the report made by the SPR and said that it was all true and Mr Bateman had sent the letter to the SPR with his full knowledge. ED said that the clairvoyant was the wife of a friend of the family and also a friend of Mr Bateman. ED had lost contact with Mr Bateman who was thought to have moved to Nottingham or Manchester. E.D. also said that he'd been in contact with the cousin that stayed in the house who had a disturbed night when the door opened whilst he was half asleep. He wrote to say that he remembered the incident well, someone coming into the room as far as the bookcase and then turned and left the room as if having realised the mistake. The cousin said that he attached no importance to the incidents at the time. He did not feel that it was anything supernatural. He put it down to a natural mistake to someone who had not realised that he had been staying in the room. On November the 24th, 1902, Dr William Vincent, a member of the SPR, who had already given some assistance in the investigation of the case, arranged to have the half-stone beneath which the clairvoyant had thought there had been bones in a paper, the paper that which would write a great wrong. When they lifted the hearthstone, nothing was found other than dust, rubble and rubbish. The hearthstone in the adjoining room, which had a back-to-back fireplace, was also removed with the same result. Nothing was found, although the exposed areas were carefully searched. The clerk of works and the workman said that it was evident that the hearths had not been disturbed before. And this proved to be the end of the investigations into M House. There was a short article printed in the SPR journal in July 1903 giving some comments on the case. The SPR said that they first became aware of the alleged haunting in 1885 by Mr Bateman, but the account had not reached a high enough standard to justify publication in the journal. This was because the apparition was only seen by one witness at the time, a Mrs P. There were other incidents at the time that were not reported by Mr Bateman, probably as he had not been told about them. He did not report the experience of the sister known as Mrs W, who had experienced an impression, apparently visual, of a grey-veiled figure. It's not clear why this incident was not included in Mr Bateman's account, for we have learnt from Mr WGD the incident... Mrs C was living at the house in 1885 and she stated that on two occasions she had heard mysterious noises at night. And as said, these were not included in Mr Bateman's account. Because of the new evidence submitted by WD in 1902 suggesting that more than one person had experienced something, the SBR began their investigation. This was 17 years after Mr Bateman's account and it seemed to confirm that he had written what he had written when he had heard uh, what he had heard as a guest in the house. It was also stated that Mr D's family lived five years at M House before any supernatural act was reported. 
Another observation of the SPR was that the D family was a large family consisting of ten brothers and sisters, who ages in 1885 ranged between four and thirty. So this gave suspicions of practical joking. However, when those present were questioned by the SPR in 1902, they all testified that there was no pranking or hoaxing. Those at the SPR felt that all those living in the house during the disturbances in the 1880s were trustworthy and good witnesses. It was also commented that if there was any practical joking, would those guilty be able to keep it up for 18 years and have the luck never to be detected? especially after the sad associations connected with the incidents, uh, the appearance of the figure and the deaths of several members of the family. The SPR argued that the behaviour of the dogs and a good many of the strange noises should be discounted. In an ordinary house, if one hears some noise which cannot be accounted for, it's put down to some ordinary cause, undiscovered, and no more thought is given to it. But let a house get a reputation of being haunted, and a trivial incident at once attracts serious considerations and may become distorted, as explained by the SPR, attaching um, apocryphal creations, as they called it, to a central, well-attested experience, which I take to mean the meanings are given to incidents in a haunted house that would not be given elsewhere. The SPR said that the playing of the piano could not so readily be dismissed but it was the evening of the death of their father which may have encouraged people to act in strange ways, coping with the grief. This suggests that there was a collective auditory hallucination, vivid enough to give rise to an optical illusion of the vibrations of the wires. Mr WD describes the notes he heard at starting at mid-sea and going down in minor thirds. His brother says the piano struck several notes, as though to test the instrument. They started running up and down in a, in a sort of scale several times. The discrepancy here may be due to the fact that in one case we have the description of a trained musician, Mr WD, and the other of uh, a layman, where it may be that the hallucinations through simultaneous and similar were not identical. Without going into any detail, and believe me the SPR report did, Events were not written down, and in such circumstances the memory can play tricks. Or in SPR jargon, incidents be can become merged into a composite memory. There can be mythopoeic memory where people's memories merge into a single account. The point is made that the memory is an active process of the creation of meanings, rather than the truthful recreation of what has happened in the past. This is why the SPR were doubtful over the accuracy of some of the statements regarding the alleged hauntings. The message was conveyed by the SPR about the importance to write down what has happened at the time. If things are written down, they carry far more weight. During the late 19th and early 20th centuries, the SPR was asked to investigate a large number of cases of alleged haunted housing, haunted houses. In the overwhelming majority of these cases, there were no evidence obtained of anything of a supernatural nature taking place. 
I think M House would be a good example of this. There are probably psychological reasons or theories that could provide a more convincing explanation. The SPI were made up of people from a number of different backgrounds. Scientists, philosophers, writers, doctors and many others. These personalities varied greatly. Stories of haunted houses, apparitions, premonitions and fortune telling were looked down upon by the SPR and they were often dismissed as fooleries. Nevertheless, from time to time a haunted house story was published uh, from many of those that were investigated. The haunting of M House was a case thought strong enough to publish in 1902. There were only other, two other cases in the 1902 journal of uh, haunted houses that were given any space in the journals. The first example was a, another boys' school in London, a London suburb, where again there was a request not to print the names of the witnesses or the address of the house. The statement was written by the daughter of the headmaster of the school. The story again was an apparition wandering around the property. This story also included figures being seen before a death in the family. The house in this story was built in the 17th century and had been a boys' school for years. There had been a legend about a boy being confined into a dark cupboard and had starved. But there was no authentic details, just vague stories of a previous haunt. Various people connected to the school gave their accounts of the apparitions that were seen. The SPR did visit and were given a tour of the school but made no comment or assessment in their report. The other case was a lodging house in Cambridge where the names of those involved were printed. The address given was Cromwell Lodge, Trumpington Street, Cambridge. In this story Mrs Jepson had previously written to the SPR some years back about noises and visions that had been seen at the house. Mr Podmore, who was a very influential personality at the SPR, had made the visit, but did not think it worthy of a write-up in the journal. Since that time, Mrs Jepson had moved out of the property, which was, as she described it, pulled more or less to pieces. That was her description. Um, Mrs uh, Jepson said the new owners were changing the house around. She had written to Mr Podmore again to inform him that three skulls had been found just outside the dining room and the rooms where the figures had been seen and noises heard. The skulls were of a woman and two men. Then the article gave descriptions of the experiences of Mrs Jepson and guests at the house which they felt could not be explained. The story seems cliched as if the SPR were trying to wean their readers off such haunted house stories and concentrate on cases of spiritualism, telepathy, trance mediums, mind reading and the like, which the society seemed to want to concentrate on at that time. Well, so ends another podcast. I was going to make another short paranormal podcast about ghost cats and dogs as investigated by the SPR, but the accounts proved very weak when I started to uh, investigate. So I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank Damselfly for providing the background music. Uh, next podcast will be another Canning Town 
related podcast where I'll be um, deconstructing the book Judas Pig. So until next time, I will say thank you and goodbye.